we would like to acknowledge and respect the traditional owners, including the Wondery Woiwurrung people as original custodians of this land, along with their customs and traditions and their special relationship with the land. It's Sunday the 7th of May, and welcome to The Wind Down, a recap of the week's news produced by Swinburne University's The Standard. I'm your host, Angus Delaney. Among today's headlines, the FBI sees a Russian mega yacht in Fiji and bus drivers go on strike. Later on, we speak with Emma Gray from Deloitte about what rate rises and inflation actually means. Plus, we hear your thoughts on what Victoria should have spent its state budget on. And now for the week's headlines. The Reserve Bank of Australia, or RBA, raised interest rates for the first time in 11 years, increasing by 25 basis points to set the cash rate at 0.35%. This is done in an attempt to anchor inflation, but experts agree that this is just the first of a set of increases the RBA will make at their monthly meetings. Australian banks have adjusted in line with the RBA's rate raise, which will notably increase the monthly repayments on home loans. Currently, a loan of $500,000 would have you paying an additional $65 a month, and a $1 million loan will take an extra $130 a month to continue paying off. However, the real fear of people with a mortgage are the rate rises that lie ahead. To help us make sense of these numbers, rate raises and inflation, we are joined by Emma Gray, Manager in Economic Policy and Forecasting at Deloitte. So obviously in the news lately, there's been quite a lot of quite a lot of stuff happening with uh, inflation and interest rate rises. And I was wondering if we could start off with a few definitions for people like myself who, who are a bit unaware about all this stuff. Could you start by telling me what inflation means and like what it means in the definition and what it means practically? For sure. So inflation is essentially a measure of growth in prices. So inflation is how fast the consumer price index is growing. The consumer price index tries to measure um, kind of the general cost of the types of goods and services that Australians are accessing day to day. So that includes the costs of health, education, transport, and also our groceries, and even our housing costs, so our rent or, or our mortgage payments. And inflation is just the rate that that's growing. And so at the moment, there's been a lot of headlines about inflation growing um, at record rates, but we can get into that more uh, post-definitions. <laughs> and also, what about when we hear about rates rising, what does that mean? Is that related to inflation? Yeah, so... Interest rates, there's lots of different interest rates, um, but when people talk about the official interest rates or the RBA, which is the Reserve Bank of Australia, they're talking about the official cash rate. So that's the official interest rate that the RBA set. And so that's not going to be the same as the rate that you're getting for interest on your savings or the rate that you're paying for your mortgage, but it's uh, the official rate that determines uh, kind of the, the cost of trading between different banks. And when that goes up, then all other interest rates go up. And when it goes down, all other interest rates follow. And what about when we see banks like Combank and ANZ, they will match what the RBA sets. Does that just mean, what does that really mean? Sorry. Yeah. So it means if the RBA increases the 
official cash rate, then that means that the cost of essentially money and the cost of borrowing money um, increases. And so the banks will then increase how much they charge everyone else to borrow money. Now, the reason why interest rates are related to inflation is that if your interest rates go up, then the cost of, of borrowing money becomes more expensive. Now, if fewer people, if it's more expensive, fewer people are going to be borrowing money and using that money to spend it on all these goods and services, which drives up the price. So if fewer people are able to do that because the cost of borrowing money is higher, then inflation should hopefully settle down a bit. So the RBA's kind of core mandate is to try and target an inflation rate that sits around 2 to 3%. Um, at the moment, we're at 5.1%. So we're well out of that range. And we've been actually above that range on average for the past whole year. We've been at 3.9%. So this isn't something that's just happened since petrol prices went through the roof. Inflation has actually been an issue for the past year or so. And so the RBA is now acting by increasing the official cash rate, which then flows through to increases in all our other interest rates in order to try to pull back that rate of inflation. And is this as far as the RBA are going to go? Or I think I've heard rumours that they will increase rates a bit more to try and bring down inflation. It's very unlikely that it stops here. So the official cash rate until recently, until the most recent change, was at a record low of 0.1%. And that's the lowest it's ever been. So uh, that plummeted uh, early on during the pandemic in order to try to stimulate some economic activity. Um, so now uh, it's started to be increased to try and pull down inflation, but it's unlikely that that small increase, so it was an increase of uh, 25 basis points, which means the official cash rate is now 0.35%. That's still very low relative to history. So that small step change is probably not going to be enough to really bring inflation down, which is, like I said before, over 5%. The RBA's target band is between 2 and 3%. So the RBA meet every month. Uh, so it's likely we could see, uh, it's quite expected that we'll see more increases ahead. So they'll tend to increase it by kind of one step at a time, see how the economy and see how things respond. One um, important thing to note is a few months ago, the governor of the Reserve Bank, Phil Lowe, said that in making uh, a decision about the interest rate, he'd be looking at inflation, but he'd also be looking at wages. So uh, inflation being high on its own isn't necessarily a terrible thing, um, but it is bad, particularly when inflation being really high is happening at the same time as wages not growing at the same rate. 
So inflation is the growth in the costs of goods and services, the costs of kind of everything we're buying. If our wages are growing faster than inflation, then we have the power to buy more and more. If our wages are growing slower than inflation, then our real wages, so the cost of what we can actually buy at or the amount of what we can actually buy at the end of the day is shrinking. So at the moment, wages growth has finally jumped back to where it was before the pandemic. But before the pandemic, people have been talking for several years about wages growth being at record lows, and then it went to even further record lows. So there's still a fair bit to go on wages. And it will be an important one to watch, given the governor of the Reserve Bank has marked that out as something he's keeping an eye on. The next Reserve Bank meeting will come a few days after we get some more data about wages as a share of the economy. So if that's jumped up further, then that gives the RBA more evidence that it's appropriate to keep increasing interest rates to try and bring inflation further under control. So at the moment, we're seeing goods and services go up in price. It's it's harder and it costs more to borrow money and wages aren't performing as they should. Am I right in saying that? Yes, that's that's exactly correct. So yep. what does this, how is this impacting people's lives at the moment? Can we see them, is this impacting the, the housing market, their rentals? Is it impacting the groceries they buy at the shops? Yes, definitely. So I guess the bottom line is that the cost of living overall is going up and our wages aren't keeping up. So it's harder to, I guess, just go about day to day. Um, The cost of groceries, the cost of transport, the cost of filling up your car so you can get to work or you can go and study is more expensive. And what most people are earning isn't keeping up with that to compensate for that. Um, On the other side, you've got interest rates being increased to try and calm down inflation, but that then has its own flow on impacts. So increases in interest rates are a great thing if you're a net saver. So if you've got more money in savings um, in the bank than you do in debt, then great, you're going to get more return. You're going to get a higher interest rate on that. But most people and probably most young people aren't fortunate enough to be in that position. So most people are going to be um, sort of in net debt. So you might have a mortgage or a personal loan or some credit card debt, and that outweighs how much you have in the bank. That now means that the cost of repaying, so the interest rate on that loan and that debt is going to be higher. So that pushes mortgage costs higher um, for people who have variable interest rates. Some people will have fixed interest rates on their mortgage. Um, It pushes that higher. Some people think that, oh, interest rates, that doesn't affect my rent because my rent's just a standard amount. 
but you've got to think about who owns the property that you're renting. Do they have a mortgage on that property? If they do, it's now more expensive for them to pay for that property. So they're probably going to push that cost through to whoever's renting so they can make back some of that increased cost with increased rent. So the impacts of both the high inflation and now high interest rates to try and bring that inflation under control are really pervasive. And yeah, at the end of the day, it really just means increased costs of living pressures for everyone. And the key thing that's um, quite a topic of the election debate at the moment uh, is wages and trying to get wages to catch up to inflation so that people can better deal with cost of living pressures. Um, I do want to touch on that uh, on wages in a moment, but you mentioned people that are in like in debt with maybe it's a mortgage mm-hmm. or it's credit card. What about hex debt or is that measured differently and you don't, uh, you won't lose on that so much? So hex debt um, does have an interest rate on it. I'm not sure off the top of my head how market driven that rate is or if it's perhaps capped but um, repaying hex debt is linked to your income Um, so fortunately you know if you aren't earning an income or if your income's below a certain threshold then increasing interest rates won't be a burden on increasing your hex debt, um, but it does become so if you start earning above a certain threshold at which you then have to start repaying your hex debt. Okay, great. Thank you. And just one last question. It might be a bit of a big one. We've talked a bit about wages increasing. I'm sure every Australian would like to see their wages go up, but I imagine it's a bit more complex than just paying everyone more. How exactly would this work? Yeah, so there's, you're right, it's a big one. There is a lot that goes into it. And one thing that particularly works in the favour of employees at the moment is that we're in a really tight labour market. So the best bounce back um, that we've had in terms of the post-pandemic recovery in Australia has been in the labour market. Jobs has gone through the roof. The unemployment rate is so much lower than it was even before the pandemic. And so companies are in fierce competition to try to attract people into jobs. Job vacancies are at all-time highs. So that's a big positive for wages because it means that businesses will have to pay more if they want to attract the right people to come work for their organisation. But then the other key driver of wages is productivity. So that's kind of how much output can like one employee produce. And productivity growth has been quite sluggish for several years, um, like before the pandemic as well in Australia. And that's Uh, that's not necessarily down to the individual worker. That's kind of a structural issue and a like technology related issue in Australia. So that's not necessarily on our side, but the competition in the labour market and trying to attract the right people into jobs is on our side. Um, 
I guess the other component that can potentially push wages up is in heavily regulated industries where wages or wages growth are set by the government. And so there's been a lot of talk about this, particularly in aged care. And I think uh, the Labor Party is suggesting further permanent increases to the wages of aged care workers and particularly nurses. Now, that not only increases the wages of those staff, but it potentially then attracts workers in the aged care industry who may have previously been working in hospitals or other related health fields to move into the aged care sector. Now, that then means that hospitals and and other health providers might then start to increase their wages to try and be more competitive so they can maintain or win back their staff. So that then becomes a bit of a self-perpetuating cycle of some some increased wages. So there's also a role that government can play, not really in private sector wages, but um, for certain regulated sectors such as in health and also sometimes in education. Great. Thank you so much, Emmy. You've cleared a lot of things up for me and your insights have been fantastic. Great. Thanks for having me, Angus. And now back to our headlines. Labor leader Anthony Albanese failed to recite the six steps of Labor's NDIS policy, only managing one before being handed a fact sheet to help him name the remaining five. This is reminiscent of Albanese's earlier gaffe at the beginning of his campaign when questioned on the national unemployment rate. National unemployment rate at the moment uh, is, uh, I think it's 5.4, sorry, I'm not sure what it is. This reflects a rise in the number of gotcha questions from journalists, which are generally looked down upon by members of the public. However, Albanese's failure to recite his own policy made him the subject of some criticism. This includes a tweet from Australian of the Year and disability advocate Dylan Orcott, saying, Can all sides of Parliament take some time to understand the NDIS and its importance? People's lives depend on it. Labor MP Anika Wells says the rising gotcha questions distract from policy and frustrates Australians. This week a document was leaked stating that the US Supreme Court was positioned to overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was a decision made in 1973 that made abortion a constitutional right in America. But the leaked documents state the majority of the US Supreme Court would vote to overturn this decision and undo 50 years of precedent. In doing so, this would go against what the majority of Americans want, as most support abortion rights and Roe v. Wade. The leaked document has come under fire from many sides, including political parties, celebrities, podcasters and influencers. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison says he's aware of the issue, but that no changes to abortion laws will be made in Australia. This week on campus, we asked you what you wanted to see the Premier spend money on in Victoria's state budget. Here's what you had to say. Is there anything that you wanted the state government to invest in? Um, Definitely more in the environment, I would say, which I'm not entirely sure if the budget is taking that into consideration, but that's something I would definitely be more open to them investing in. Uh, More the infrastructure of the roads. They are focusing on it, but they are slow in development. One benefit is they have actually focused a lot more on healthcare now that the nurses are struggling with the pandemic. It's good that they're investing in getting new nurses out there and getting into the industry. I wish they would invest in more, you know, renewables and things like that. But I'm glad that lots of the investment is going into good public infrastructure, like updating train lines and things like that, especially living right next to a 
project. It's good to see things happening at least. I mean, I'm always like kind of invested in uh, recovery from COVID, not just like economically, but actually like the arts and music scene because Melbourne does have a lot of those places and just like federally as well. I mean, I haven't looked at the budget in detail, but it seems like always education is getting stiffed a little bit. And as someone who's obviously affected by that and has a lot of family affected by that in teaching, always ideal if there's a bit more money going in there. Yeah. Uh, so the emphasis on the budget was on the health system. So that includes like um, emergency health services, mental health and elective surgeries. Do you think it's a good thing that these were focal points in the budget? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, especially mental health, I think that's really important at the moment. So that's good that to hear that it's an important part of the budget. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of investing in um, stuff like that that holds real importance and that can um, change people's lives for the better. And um, yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that that was heavily um, or at least partially invested. Yeah. A hundred percent. They are very underestimated with the general public and people don't believe that they should be focused on but mental health especially people don't talk about it at the moment and if they're not a focus with the government then a lot of people are just going to ignore it. Emergency services and stuff and I feel like the mental health systems in this country definitely need an update like uh, there's really limited support and access and it's it's just not really talked about at all so I feel like putting more money into it is good but there does need to be more of like an action plan as well not just like here's some money do something with it i pretty much agree i think health having health as a focus is great and i I think our health systems and healthcare and mental health are probably above average compared to a lot of countries but that's not like an excuse to stop they definitely need to be better my last question is just no money was allocated in this budget uh to reviving the melbourne cbd do you have any feelings towards that um, yeah, I think the CBD probably has struggled the most with um, COVID and everything in um, the economy in there. So I feel like there definitely could have been some money allocated to that area. Um, so the fact that they haven't, yeah, I'm not too sure why they wouldn't, because I feel like they've definitely been the place in Melbourne that struggled the most with everything. With especially, you know, having background of art and theatre and music and you know, what's my work is in photography of these events and things like that. The idea that, you know, there isn't any funding going towards keeping light life and things like that alive is like ridiculous and terrible because things will die, you know, shows get shut down because car parks are being built. It's absurd and it's a joke to call Melbourne, you know, a cultural hub when you put no money into it and eventually the Melbourne CBD life, nightlife will just die and it'll be at the hands of damn man quite disappointing to hear that um you know the city brings in a lot of revenue for the government in the first place and it should be a focus factor for the government to head towards and now back to our headlines more than 1,500 bus drivers from dyson and ventura went on strike friday morning calling for better pay and working conditions leading to major transport disruptions throughout melbourne the Transport Workers' Union said that they had reached an impasse with the companies, with workers striking from Dyson saying the organisation had failed to pass on a 2.19% wage increase. Around 100 drivers formed a picket line at a bus depot in Bondura early on Friday morning, with services disrupted in Melbourne's east, south and north. 
Australian woman Tani Shanks has been reported missing after her two-year-old daughter was found wandering in the streets of Mexico. Shanks has not been seen since her daughter, Adeline, was found outside a church in Cancun. Adeline's father has not been sighted recently and was also reported to be missing. Daniel, Tani's brother, has described his sister as something of a free spirit who always wanted to travel. But Adeline was her whole world and would have never left her behind. Members of the Shanks family are already working on bringing Adeline back to Australia to be with family as the search for Tani is underway. A 106 metre super yacht, believed to be owned by Russian oligarch Solomon Karimov, has been seized by Fijian authorities and is now residing in the island nation's capital of Suva under United States custody. The FBI, in conjunction with Fijian authorities, seized the yacht on Thursday. The US Department of Justice finding that the yacht is likely in violation of US law including International Emergency Economic Powers Act, money laundering, and conspiracy. United States Attorney General Merrick B. Garland says there is no hiding place for the assets of criminals who enabled the Russian regime. Today's episode of The Wind Down was written by Tim Wilson and Angus Delaney. Our editor was Jacqueline Jannon, and it was produced by Claudia Hoffman, Angus Delaney, and Jacqueline Jannon. Album artwork is by Emily Lee. You can find us on Instagram at Swinburne Journalism or The Wind Down Swinburne, Twitter at Swin Journalism, or on our website, swinstandard.net.